Welcome to the Mortcast. Before we get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy blocks. Go to bfwdenver.com as well if you want to book yourself a table, get yourself a, a bottle of wine, or uh, get some swag. Uh, there's a, all a bunch of options on bfwdenver.com. You can also learn about their uh, California branch and uh, book a uh, wine tasting tour up there in Sonoma County, California. If you go in, um, they have outdoor seating. Like I said, you know, it's like right now, it's very important with restrictions coming back to take take precautions and uh, look at, uh, you know, maybe putting yourself in a an option where you go with only vaccinated friends, sit outside. Uh, you can sit outside in the dairy block. It's a great, great, really beautiful option. And uh, sit down and enjoy some of that 2017 Cabernet in the comfort of knowing that you're, you're going to be safe. They also have a bunch of other wines, like they have all manner of reds. they got Pinot, which is obviously, you know, Sonoma County. The specialty in California is uh, Pinot Noir. So they got Pinot, but they also got uh, Western Slope Partnerships, Western Slope uh, wineries uh, that you can try some Colorado wines. Really, this is a local Colorado business that obviously it, during these times where things are uncertain, they need your support. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com if you want to go book yourself a table, get a bottle of wine, or get some swag. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast. I sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay. Uh, hot Take Thursday. Yay! I see everyone going, yay, in the audience. Um, this one is going to be interesting because it's it's a typically esoteric uh, Jeff Morton hot take. So you're going to have to bear with me on this one. Uh, the first half, I'm going to give you a little bit of history of why I think the way I do. And then in the second half, I'm going to talk about what the NBA did uh, to make things worse. You know, labor strife was something that was, uh, you know, the history of the NBA is actually littered with with labor strife. Going all the way back to the 60s when Oscar Robinson, uh, Robertson uh, filed, filed his antitrust suit against the uh, uh, NBA, which delayed the merger of the ABA into the NBA for about six years. It was a, um, it's just part of the deal, and it's and really, if you if you really truly think about it, it's a conflict in most uh, industries that uh, collectively bargain. Um, there's always the push pull with uh, what the union wants and what the company wants, and um, if it's a good negotiation, you meet where everyone is not happy. And basically that is the goal. Um, the, the, the NBA has, through various labor stoppages from the, the commissionership of David Stern, uh, which actually really began in 95, um, there were, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four lockouts or work stoppages in the NBA under the commissionership of David Stern. Uh, one of the things that vexed uh, NBA owners the most after the 99 work stoppage in which they got a whole bunch of con- concessions from the, from the uh, 
players, the, the tiered slash max salary provisions were put in, um, all that stuff. Part of the of the the what the owners were ruining was these long term contracts that they were being signed. Uh, for example, for Nuggets history, and I think this is the one everyone will will point to. Uh, in two thousand four, in the off season, uh, the Nuggets were on the rise and probably probably were getting a little bit ahead of themselves, but uh, it worked out generally in the end. Uh, Kenyon Martin was entering into his uh, free agency period, um, restricted free agency. He was coming off his first contract with the New Jersey Nets. And uh, he had just gone through two, um, uh, you know, finals appearing New Jersey teams that got waxed both times with Jason Kidd on the roster. And he, they had really just uh, probably reached their pinnacle and then the next year, they kind of uh, they were, got beat by the Detroit Pistons, and uh, things were looking a bit stale for them. Kenny Martin's contract came up, and it just didn't, especially after the Nuggets got involved, it didn't seem like uh, New Jersey had the appetite to match uh, salaries. Um, so in the end, Kenny Martin signs with the Denver Nuggets on a seven-year, $90 million deal. And obviously, it was a sign of trade. The the Nets got a bunch of picks from the Nuggets, uh, which didn't end up being much of anything for the Nets. Um, in return, Martin signs with the Nuggets, but it was a seven-year deal. This was the last seven-year deal that the Nuggets signed. I believe it was the deal because in 2005 there was another work stoppage, uh, a brief lockout, and that was largely due to uh, some ancillary issues, including the way the players dress and the the texture of the basketball. Which, looking back on that, is one of the more ridiculous lockouts we've ever seen in, in the NBA. But. One of the things that continued to vex the owners throughout the uh, the time of the entire 2000s was contracts that were signed that were seven years, um, and which was the quote max you could sign at the time. And if you're a Nuggets fan, you will point to Kenyon Martin's contract that he signed as hamstringing the Nuggets. At least fans will look at that and look as hamstringing the Nuggets from making other deals, which really wasn't true because they traded for Allen Iverson in uh, 2006, the end of 2006. That shot them well into the luxury tax. It did not prevent them from making moves. But it became a convenient whipping boy because um, owners slash DMs have a tendency to make dumb decisions. And uh, particularly in the mid 2000s and mid-level players like you know uh carrie kittles was uh in the early 2000s i think got a seven-year deal just this these contracts that 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 these players were signing some of them were mid-level and lower players and they just couldn't do anything with them according to the owners that are on were on that team um and the nba owners were uh, were really really committed to changing that 
in particular, because one of the big aspects of the 2011 lockout was this idea that the NBA owners had to be saved from themselves, i.e. stop handing out stupid contracts. And the only way we can stop ourselves from handing out stupid contracts is basically to punish the players. It's really what that lockout was all about. We have to reduce their percentage of the BRI from it was like fifty-seven percent all the way down to fifty, like this 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 moving target of forty-nine to fifty-one percent of the of the basketball-related income. Um, another goal in that was to reduce the length of the contracts to make the maximum length that you can sign a player from four to five years. Basically, it was to basically guarantee that the by the end of the deal you can get out from under it because the perception was by the time you reached 2011 that players i.e. such as Kenyon Martin could not be traded because they had probably a whole bunch of other issues with Kenyon it was his knees and uh, you couldn't trade these contracts because of that and particularly as I pointed out with Nuggets fans that was the one they would point to, is Kenyon Martin's contract, um, which really began, the shortening of the contracts really began in 2005, and then were solidified by 2011. Ironically, Kenyon Martin's contract was up in 2011. So by the time the 2011 lockout happened, Kenyon Martin was no longer a Denver Nugget. Um, and there was, there was a kind of feeling that the Nuggets were free, quote-unquote, out from under that $17 million a year, basically, they were paying to Kenyon. Um, which, looking back on that now, that's amazing how much this cap has uh, exploded uh, since, uh, since then. That's, uh, that's pretty astounding. But on the second part of this podcast, I'm going to talk to, you about, talk to you about what the owners did in 2011 and how it made things a bit worse for them on the other side and gave them consequences they didn't really think about. I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Um, You know, right now, uh, there's the Olympics going on. It's going on for about five more days, I think. Um, Maybe maybe less than that, maybe three more days, three, three, four more days. And... It is. It's you know to to you know the 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 U.S. Olympic basketball team is in the gold medal game against France. Uh, as of this recording, there's a bunch of ways you can get involved, and DraftKings Sportsbook is one of those one of those places where you can like find a good thing to bet on. You know, like prop betting is a is all the rage, and the easiest place that you can do prop bets is DraftKings Sportsbook because they they make things so easy. As I keep pointing out every time you guys hear me read this, my friend Pat, my co sometimes co-host uh, on CSG Politics and, and uh, Gen X uh, Music Show, which you should go over and check out, um, or the Gen X Show, excuse me. Oh God, I'm not saying the name of my own podcast right. Um, those uh, those things are like uh, like really popular, and, and, and Pat... Uh, is a big fan because it makes it easy, and and I think that part is if you're going to be a first time sports better, uh, you really want things easy. Just in speaking of America, 
Uh, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold, and DraftKings has made a medal-worthy offer just for my listeners. That's right. Place any event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. 100 to 1 odds, a 100 to 1 offer odds like this doesn't come around often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook app now and get in on all the action. I love uh, my friends all love using DraftKings Sportsbook, so it's it's the, one of the pr- big things on it is it's easy to navigate and it's very easy to understand, which is great for you, the person who is probably who's listening to this and is curious about it and wants to try it out. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So the resolution by the time the 2005 and 2011 lockout comes, which you know obviously came at the end, end terms of these contracts between the players and the owners, was to shorten the length of these contracts and reduce the BRI that the percentage of the BRI the players are getting. One of the problems the owners had is that none of them can ever decide on revenue sharing. And that's if you're going to talk about something that is a bigger fight. It is revenue sharing amongst owners. It's not players' owners. Um, that will always be a big fight. And the Lakers and the Knicks and the Celtics and and some of these other big market uh, pr- uh, you know clubs don't want to revenue share. And that has been a problem throughout NBA history. So it's not it's not a it's not something that uh, they like to do particularly with these uh, tv contracts being as paltry as they have been of late on the on the rsn side uh so they really are depending on these big contracts that come through the the general media package that the nba signs which was huge uh back about 5 6 years ago the the nba um managed to succeed in reducing the length of these contracts. And really, your average NBA contract is about three and a half years. And it's gone from, I think, the average prior to them shortening it was about four. So it basically had reduced the the average of sufficiently, excuse me, four and a half. So it was it was right around there. And, and, and you know, Prior to the max contract provision, you're talking, you know, anywhere all the way up to 1999, um, NBA players were kind of locked into to teams for as long as the team wanted you to be. Um, free agency wasn't quite as free. Um, and it's, in some ways, the restricted agency, free agency provisions, the, the rookie contracts, it got even more restricting. But the NBA did something that kind of shot itself in the foot. And this was, in shortening the contracts, it didn't count on players issuing the bird rights money that they would get as a free agent from uh, their home clubs when they're at drafted and exploring free agency. Um, it wasn't counting on that. One of the reasons the 2011 lockout 
happened was uh, also the uh, Dan Gilbert uh, was particularly aggrieved after the decision debacle in 2010. Can't believe that was 11 years ago now. Um, and he felt personally uh, offended, and he made it his point to hardline it in the uh, 2011 negotiations, which were only, there's some revisionist history, it was only resolved when the players quasi-decertified the union, okay? Otherwise, this lockout would have gone on forever. But part of the reason the owners were forced into yeah, getting actual negotiations going was because the NBA, uh, the NBA Players Union quasi-decertified. And Billy Hunter was also an incompetent leader, but that's another, another subject. So they shortened the contract. That was one of the big things. That was, the, that was a huge item for the NBA. And they wanted it to, as Mark Cuban said at the time, create, quote-unquote, churn, which is this NFL-style, um, uh, everyone is a free agent. There's a reason trades don't happen in the NFL that often, and it's because they, they, their system is set up, well, first of all, there's, there's 50-however players on a roster, and there's a lot of players in the league, and there's just under 2,000 in, in the, uh, in the uh, NFL, and there's 400 and something in the NBA. Well, it's probably more now because they've expanded the rosters. And there's a, a big difference in what they're able to do. But part of it, too, is, is non-guaranteed contracts, which will never happen in any other league. Um, one of the reasons they uh, are able to do it is because just, there's, there's just so many players who are free agents at once. And they are able to create what Martin Cuban called churn. Well, since there's not as many players in the NBA, which I can't believe the owners didn't didn't take this into account, and there's only so many superstars, it gave that it actually served the purpose of giving these players more power. Um, and the and the shortening of the contracts, particularly to where absolutely at max you get a five year deal. That is just a, you know, there's, there's, there's the, it's, you can extend out the max to five years from their existing contract to the extension. So that is, that is it. You cannot go beyond five years. Um, and players rarely get five year deals, most of them get three. Um, the NBA didn't account for players being like, okay, well, we're, we don't care about the money. We're going to go, we're going to go where we want then. And that really began with the lack of security of signing someone up for a seven-year deal, say like six years and a player option or anything like that. Now, obviously the purpose of this entire thing from the owner's perspective was to save owners from themselves, um, from or spe specifically certain GMs from themselves, from backing up and making absurd contracts and signing people. But what Nuggets fans, when you're looking at Kenya Martin, failed to recognize was that Kenya Martin was a huge and integral part of that 2009 run that they went on. And was a, actually, arguably, their second best player the following season, um, particularly defensively. And you could say that Kenya Martin, in the end, the value of the contract was made up by the fact that they made that run. And they were a consistently playoff team the entire time Kenyon was there. 
But the shortening of the contracts disincentivized players for security. It became less about wanting something to be locked up long term, and it became more about where can I move? Because the money no longer, quote, matters. You know, no contract anymore is untradeable. If the trade of John Wall and Russell Westbrook has anything, and Chris Paul, has anything, you know, to say on these things, the um, their trades basically have been uh, proof that you could trade a player who's making $40 million a year. It's not impossible. In fact, it's probably pretty easy. And the notion that any contract is untradeable is now laughable. So you've crossed the Rubicon from where you have a guy who's an integral part of your team that's locked up for seven years post-rookie deal. And now you are to the point where you're no longer in control of that. Yeah, you can extend them out for, you know, if, uh, say like I'm going to use Michael Porter Jr. as a uh, an example here. He's got one more one more, one year left on his uh, rookie deal, and after that they could ex- extend a qualifying offer, kick him into restricted free agency, and therefore the Nuggets lose all their leverage. And he can sign the most onerous contract possible, which screws the Nuggets, and it would not look good. Um, They could also extend him out. But their extent of their contract only, only goes based off, you know, say like you get your rookie deal, you could either get four years, or you could get five years. That's it. And basically, Michael Porter Jr. will be hitting his prime at the end of that deal, right? And this applies to every contract. I mean, uh, Nikola Jokic is going to be, in a year, up for his uh, another extension, where he probably will be deserving of the super, super, super max deal. And once again, it's only for four, five years, depending on, it's up to the player, Maybe Nikola Jokic doesn't want that, God forbid, right? There's a lot of different things that go into the decision-making with this. And I think where where teams fouled themselves up was having the option to secure a, a guy who's a star for seven years, cat be damned, is gone. Because, quote, churn, according to, my, to uh, Mark Cuban, Forgetting, of course, that the NBA is driven by superstars, and you don't maybe you don't necessarily want a superstar hitting unrestricted free agency, because the chances are very good you lose that player. And this is where the NBA fouled itself up. I think if the NBA had still had the option for seven-year deals, you'd have less movement. And more control would be to clubs because there will be more years and therefore they could say set up deals to where they, you know, guy got three three years left on his deal or something like that. He's locked up at the same rate that he had when he, when he signed it so long ago. Other teams may look at this with the, if the cap still, keep still goes up. Other teams may be looking at that thinking like, oh, look, this is a static contract for seven years. The NBA didn't really take into account that the, the contract at the time you sign it is locked in 
for us a percentage. And it looked at the years. And I think, just in my opinion, I think that's where the NBA screwed itself. And it led to more superstar star movement. And that's not what they intended at the time. And it came back to bite them. All right, thank you for joining me on the latest Hot Take Thursday. I will be back next week with another CSG. I'll talk to you later. Bye.